Welcome to Exponential's Reproducing Churches podcast. For the next half hour, we'll be meeting with some of the most innovative leaders who've cracked church multiplication to help you become a level five multiplying leader. Here's your host, author, church multiplier, Peyton Jones. Welcome back to the Exponential Reproducing Churches podcast. My guest today is Jason Shepard of Church Project in Woodlands, Texas. Now, here's what you need to know. This is not just church. This is a church of house churches and a network of a church of house churches. And Jason Shepard, my guest, welcome on. And what in the heck does that mean? Hey, Peyton. Thanks for having me. Glad to be with you. Uh, Well, you know, I think um, I can't see anything else other in, in Scripture other than this. We're a house church that multiplies into other house churches that is connected under one body together that is a church. And so we are a church of house churches. And then when we plant churches in other places, they are also a church of house churches. I love it, man. That is exciting to me. And you said my two favorite words, New and Testament. So uh, let's dig in a little bit. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in church planting or church multiplication, more importantly, for this podcast. How did you become one of the 100 reproducing churches in America? Uh, Well, the short answer to that would be I have no idea. (laughs) I I really don't. It's hard to sort of look back and unpack it. I can tell you that that didn't begin as our strategy. I grew up in a small town in East Texas called Tyler. I never had any idea of church planting. I literally never heard the term church planting growing up in my life. I grew up in a small Baptist church and I learned the word, but I just didn't understand the concept. I then went to seminary, kept working in churches, kept getting into bigger churches, and even still, in the churches where I worked, I never really heard the idea at all of church planting. But biblically, I couldn't reconcile that. As I studied the scripture, I just saw that that's how the gospel spread around the world, from churches planting other churches. And so I really started to wrestle with that. I also wrestled with my ecclesiology because most churches I was a part of were really just speaking from a microphone. And the church that I saw in scripture was gathering with the plurality of leaders and pastors and a decentralization and a uh, simplification of the church. So, I mean, my ecclesiology was being exploded the more I studied scripture and practiced pastoring. So I had to do something different. So what did that look like? So when you say I had to do something different, what was the different that you did? Well, I worked a really, really large church as a teaching pastor. It was great by every measure and metric. And I also would say it was great by motive. I loved the church that I was a part of. And the plan, succession plan, was for me to be a part of that for the rest of my life. But I had something happening deep in my soul that said, this is not what God's calling me to do for the rest of my life. And so very amicably... Very quietly, I left and went underground and just sort of built the ecclesiology. I formed it, all the things that I was convicted and convinced about for years. And so I saw this plurality in Scripture of um, eldership, like a single oversight in a church, but also this distribution of the church to 
leaders beyond the centrality of elders. And so for me, that looked like, um, like Paul told Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was to straighten out what's unfinished, appoint elders in every city as I directed you, and chapter 2, verse 1, teach what's in accord with sound doctrine. So elders in every town, why? Paul planted the church. He was the apostle who went and planted it. But he brought Titus in to pastor it. And he said, Titus, I need you to straighten this out. But one of the ways you're going to straighten it out is you're going to make sure that it's not all about you. People don't have access to you. They can't get to you. So put a leader in every place where everybody has an access to an elder. And so that is where that's part of the way that our theology of church is formed with house church. There's a centrality of eldership overseeing this distribution of pastoring so that everybody has access to a pastor. And it's not through the paid clergy of the staff. I really felt like the clergification of the church, I do believe in a clergy, even a full-time vocational clergy. Jesus was that, Paul was that, other people were that, but we have really disproportionately messed that up. And so our church has a one to four, one to five ratio of what most churches have for paid clergy for a church our size. And so we've distributed leadership of the church. We've decentralized it. And uh, the the actuality of that is seen in a lot of ways. I'd be glad to explain if you'd like. Please do, man. Unpack that because a lot of leaders, you know, they hear house church and they start to twitch and their hands start to shake and they, they get a little nervous because they think, man, you're just going to break what I have. Like I've been building this thing over here. And like Exponential says, not that they advocate any one model, but they say sometimes, you know, we're climbing a ladder, but the ladder's leaning against the wrong wall. Well, I mean, you don't have to be that smart. Even I can understand that we've been putting ladders up against the wrong wall for a while here in America, and it's just not going well. And so we can keep climbing up the same ladder, but once we get to the top, we realize this isn't the place where actually where I wanted it to be or where Jesus wanted it to be. Most importantly, it's his church. So for me, the real study became... If Jesus said he was going to build his church, what did that mean? For me, it starts with him telling Peter, I'm going to build my church on your confession of the gospel. But then Peter, go feed my sheep. Like this gets down into shepherding. I'm going to build my church off the confession of the gospel of the salvation through faith alone and grace alone, Christ alone, and through shepherding. And so go feed my sheep, Peter. And so that's what we're doing. I mean, our whole model of church is built off of, of shepherding. and by the way, we're just trying to use, not that any other nomenclature is wrong, but I'm trying to use biblical nomenclature to the church that meets in so-and-so's house. So we have what we call house churches. Um, church history teaches me that early church in Jerusalem was gathering by the thousands in a place to study the scriptures very simply, to give and to pray. But then they gathered by the dozens in house churches all over the city of Jerusalem. Yeah, there's they, that Acts 5.42 that says, and they met in temple courts yes. and from house to house. And so there, there was a bigger local gathering where thousands of people were saved on a go. And then there's these, uh, you know, and that's public space, really, right? Which, but tell me, do you guys have a centralized gathering? And if so, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, here's the twitch that I think a lot of pastors have when they hear house church. They're like, well, then what do I do? What's my job? Um, or 
do we even need the building that we've spent, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars on over the years building? And I'm like, but, you know, space was always used by the, the early church. I mean, they got kicked out of the temple courts and moved next door to Solomon's Colonnade, where they gathered by the thousands. But they were also gathering the homes. I think one of the things that people, as they continue to study our church, find unique is that we're actually uh, holding hands with one another in the in the public gathering and in house church. What people confuse us with is they're like, well, we do that. We have Sunday services and we have small groups. And I'll say, okay, but what does that actually look like um, when you do that? I do think the early church gathered, we say every week, Jesus taught people on the mountainside by the thousands. That was part of his discipleship. But he lived life together with people by the dozens. That was part of his discipleship. And then he discipled people one-on-one. And they did ministry. Every church would say they're doing those things. But for us, a house church is what I do believe Paul was attempting to do when he put Titus in Crete, and I think the early church was doing, and that is they distributed and decentralized the leadership. So um, a house church for us is actually a little church. Like there are empowered pastors that do all the work of the church. I mean, benevolence happens through a house church. People all right, that's how we're making sure people are not misusing funds from the church. Uh, a house church pastor and a house church community can tell, are these people, are they, are they actually in need? Is it a widow indeed? <laughs> you know, and we have people buying each other cars, paying, paying for mortgages, doing things within a house church. Benevolence happens in a house church. Counseling is the front line in a house church. House church pastors do weddings, house church pastors do funerals. I mean, it's literally a little contained church. But- you know, it's so funny that you say that, Jason, because every church I've planted, we've always said we were back to front. So we would do some centralized gathering, like the temple courts. It was purely evangelistic. Didn't matter if it was in an urban park, downtown Long Beach. Didn't matter if it was in a Starbucks in Europe. Somewhere we'd have a central gathering that was public right? The gospel would be preached, all those things. But as the church grew, our community groups or what you might call like a house church or whatever, that's where I train my multipliers and future leaders. That's where uh, all of the, the, the pastoral issues that get worked out. I found that if someone went to one of those and if I empowered and equipped the, the leaders in those settings, in other words, reproduce myself, the people that went to those groups never came to me. So I could focus my time on multiplying myself rather than putting out fires all over the church. And the people who didn't weren't involved in what we would now call micro churches or house churches or whatever it was, they, they were the people that thought, oh, I need to seek out Peyton or one of the elders or otherwise right. it just didn't happen. If you were involved in one of those groups, that's how we saw it. And it, it was powerful. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, and I and I understand and and appreciate and accept most of that, uh, I guess strategy or methodology. Um, although I would say ours is a little more even simplified than that, and that is we are. Um, I'm sorry, I don't know how to turn those dings off while I keep the volume on with you. <laughs> It's all right. You don't have to be a technician on this podcast. I'm sorry. Well, I'm good. I'm not. I, I like to say I'm an analog guy in a digital world. That's what um, editors are for, my brother. Thank you. So I think we've really simplified it even more than strategy. 
if that makes sense. I mean, for me, it's really simple. We, we have a house church pastor. We train him on how to pastor his people. When that house church grows, he has developed a new house church pastor. We help him finish that development. And then we take some of those people and start a new house church. That's as simple as it gets. Um, we are connected through the scripture we're studying together. Um, I think the eldership over the church is still accountable for what are our house churches teaching? What are people learning? So we're all studying through the same scripture together. That keeps accountability. If somebody is in a house church and they hear something that doesn't sit well with them theologically, they will have all heard a sermon unpacking that passage of scripture on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so, and that raises tension where a house church pastor is going to help them apply and walk through their misunderstandings or the misapplication of scripture, uh, accountability for living this out. And so studying this, we have, you know, 50 house churches in our city. Some of them have 50 or 60 people in them. Some of them are smaller, but um, we, we want them smaller, but some of them get so big and we can talk about a problem or an inhibitor for reproduction if you'd like, but um the house churches pastors are accountable because there's an elder oversight who's teaching the body something together. And then the house churches are all living that out together. And so there's accountability because we're all doing the same thing at the same time. That's really good, man. So tell us a little bit now that we kind of understand your model and some of your philosophy of ministry, tell us how your uh, devotion to the small house churches has led to a greater level of multiplication. Yeah, well, our whole idea in our church is multiplication, one-on-one, house church and church. So one-on-one, we want everyone in our church discipling someone else. So that's the goal. And that can be an unbeliever leading them, go and make disciples, Jesus said, baptizing them. So I think discipleship start happens well before baptism. So we have people who are meeting with people, discipling them, teaching them about the, the obe- how to obey Jesus, what it means to follow him. So we want everybody one-on-one discipling people, and so many are, hundreds, maybe thousands. We have every house church, we want you to multiply. And so we teach them about this. We preach about this. We help them with that. And then churches, we want every church we have to multiply. So that's why our church in 10 years, I mean, well, we were able to start multiplying churches very early on because we just helped an individual disciple begin a house church that begat several other house churches. And there we plant a church. So what are we at right now? If you're keeping count of these house churches, you mentioned hundreds and, and, and possibly thousands. How many churches have been multiplied out of that, that first little house church that you started up? We started with two house churches here, and that's multiplied into 50 or 60 here in the Woodlands. And then we have started other churches right around us. We have a church just north of us that now has 10 house churches. We had three or four, and we cut those off and gave them a centrality of elders and a Sunday gathering and, um, and their own leadership, and they're their own church. Like, I've never, I've never preached there. They don't know who I am. Um, the same thing's happening around Houston and in Katy. Uh, we've started two or three house churches. The same thing's happening in Kingwood. So we just give people a centrality once they have a hub. 
We also have Winter Park, Colorado, Greeley, Colorado, Orange County, California. These are all people, rather than us saying we're, we're planting, we like to say we're partnering with people as they plant. And yeah. so, um, so because it's, it's going to take a church planter and a core group of people somewhere, but Orange County, California has, I think, 10 or 12 house churches. Winter Park has three or four, and they just began like a couple of months ago. Uh, Greeley, Colorado has seven or eight. So I haven't done all the math on that, but I guess we have a hundred house churches at least that's just here in the States. I mean, we have Malawi, Africa and, and Cap Haitian in Northern Haiti and um, Saltillo, Mexico, where we have legitimate church projects that are all based on a house church model with a, with a central Sunday gathering. That's exciting, man. So uh, go back to kind of the beginning when all this started and tell us, you know, what were some of the biggest challenges you had? Because every, every multiplier is going to experience times where things didn't quite go the way that you wanted or expected. And eventually multiplication will start to hit a bottleneck and you've got to either adjust or, you know, maneuver a certain way. Was there ever a time where you thought, man, things are slowing down. We got to really kind of re-examine what we're doing and, or maybe things you, you, you outreached, uh, you know, you, you outgrew your capacity, you know, maybe you weren't multiplying yourself as much. It, did you ever hit any roadblocks on this journey? Yeah, I, yeah, we've hit a lot of roadblocks on this journey. And I, I think early on was our first roadblock. And the first roadblock was nobody has ever heard of anything called house church, not only in the woodlands, but as far as I could tell in Houston. And so I, had, I didn't know anybody else who was using the term house church. I didn't know anybody else who had this theology of church, this ecclesiology. And so that was pretty lonely. And there was no one we could really learn from. And uh, beyond that, people didn't want to be a part of it because they're like, this is a little unique. And so, like, for example, people may say, where do I gather with? And they would name young adults or senior adults or what. And I'm like, we, we're, we're not a homogenous gathering of groups. We're a diverse community. So every house church is diverse generationally, socioeconomically, you know, and so we gather geographically is all. And so our first roadblock was just this concept that people had to buy into of what is this? And that took a couple of years. I mean, we had very little growth our first two years at all. It was just teaching people. We didn't start with a core and then launch. We just started the church with 40 people and taught these people what this was going to be like. And so our first roadblock was just buying in our city. And then we did grow rapidly. I mean, we were so focused on simplicity and generosity and decentralized leadership that I did not have capable leaders around me to help with the growth. So like Paul told Titus, straighten out what was unfinished. We've had several different iterations of having to straighten out what's unfinished. And well, let me ask you, so, okay, so you start off with 40 people, right? Like that's cramming a lot of people into a house. So then um, as you start growing, at what point's your break off? Like, do you say, Hey man, 40 and no more, you know, got to start a new one. How do you decide who's going to go? Does it get up to 80? Like, do you have a rule? It can only be this big. Or if you, you know, hit 20 people, you got to send out eight or 12 or whatever. Do you have any kind of process or rules or how does that work? Yeah, well, we're actually a church of house churches and we did not start in a church, in a house. We started in a warehouse. And so we started with our Sunday gathering and said, 
this is what the church looks like. Go gather in house churches. We'll see you next Sunday. And so we started with 40 people on a Sunday and we started with two house churches of 20 people, you know, right after that. Mm -hmm. And then we, we multiplied quickly because we said, by the way, these two house churches are too big for you to live in a real community together. So we need to start more. So we did start to multiply really quickly, but we started on Sunday. And so, um, but the weird thing was people couldn't get to us. Like we have, we have no phone for people to call. We have no office or receptionist for people to walk into. We do have some offices where our small staff gathers, but they're hidden. Like people in our church don't even know how to find it. Like, um, hmm. and so it's just like we have decentralized the church to the place where people couldn't get to us because we wanted them getting to their house church pastor and to their house church community. So we're a church of house churches that did not start in a house. We started cool. in a warehouse. Yeah, that's cool. And so, is it just more like a, a capacity of the physical house, and then you multiply out, or how do you train your leaders to know when, how, and where to multiply? You know, there are a lot of numbers in the Bible, right? And so, I don't know that any of those really told us this is the proper size for a healthy group or whatever. I don't know if that's Jesus's number of twelve or it's the great biblical number of forty. I don't know. Um, but we do know when people say what's too big or too small, we say medium is right. You know, uh, I mm. mean, we just say medium. And Goldilocks, uh, not and, too yeah. big, not too small, but just right. What feels, <laughs> what feels just right. And for us more, we say we'd like to qualify things rather than quantify things. So the, to qualify something, what's the quality of community in your house church? Um, for some house churches, I mean, they have, 40 adults regularly and their community is incredible for some they get above 12 or 14 or 20 people and they don't have good community the house church pastor isn't like our one of our biggest house churches this guy's capacity to lead is unbelievable and he's shepherding people incredibly well raising up leaders it's great of course it's on the bigger side of it but we have some house churches that are too small too and hey you're six or eight people uh, for whatever reason, you're not reaching more people in your neighborhood or your community or people from our Sunday gathering will go and it feels a little anemic and odd and they don't go back. So for us, it's not necessarily a number. It's we like to say medium size and that means different things to different people. But we also like to say, are you able to do all the things that a house church is supposed to do? And when you're not able to do that, then you need to multiply. What would be some of the things that that you would have as kind of a, a, a way marker of the things a church is supposed to do? What would some of those things be? Well, I, I think we would at least start with every person is known there. Like, mm. is there a place in the body where everybody can be known? And I would say the answer to that is yes, the Lord wants us to be deeply known in church. And I do not believe that he intended that to be in a room of thousands of people. So I do believe he wanted somebody to go into someone else's home and be known and loved and cared for well. So a way marker for us is, is your house church so big that every person in it is not known? I mean, how horrible would it be for a mm. person to get up the courage to walk into somebody's home and go for a couple of months and then not show up and nobody ever notices? I mean, wow. So a way marker for us, that's a great word that we haven't used, but that would be, um, hey, is everybody known? Is everybody being discipled in your house church? Do you have hmm. the capacity to make sure that every individual is being discipled? Like, 
you know, when I go around our city and I see a man sitting with another man at a restaurant or a coffee shop with their Bible open and they're talking and they just got connected via house church, that's when I sit back and go, okay, this is working. And that's happening, you know, a hundred times, a thousand times this week in our church. And so are, is everybody known? Is everybody discipled? Are you able to meet each other's needs? I mean, sometimes the bigger a house church is, the more capacity they have to meet other people's needs. So literally, we've been able to buy people cars and pay people's mortgages for months while they're out or pay people's medical bills. So the house church, are you able to meet people's needs? By the way, I'll just interject this here. When a house church has legitimate needs that they can't meet, that's when that house church pastor goes to our elder who oversees house churches and says, hey, we have a legitimate need. We've raised $4,000, but we need 3,000 more. The house church pastors vetted this. It's and we've discipled them through the process, then we're like, hey, collectively, we have money that the whole church has given, and we can help you with that. That's amazing. And that actually was where I was going next in my questions is, what's your funding model? How does it work? Because obviously, you know, you're not centralizing everything. And that decentralizing, as Hugh Halter says, you only have to pay for what you centralize. So decentralizing means most everything can be done for free. So how, how are you funding this? What's the financial model? You, you've given us a little glimpse there, but how does that work? Is there a set number of paid people that are with you now that are set apart to multiply others? Because that's the other thing Hugh Halter said, is he says the only justification he can see in Scripture for people to be set apart full-time to ministry is to reproduce themselves. Um, yeah. What's your financial model? Well, I would agree with you, and I would I would say that's why. Do you mean you agree with you, or you agree with Hugh? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't quite I make out the inflection there. Hugh Halter <laughs> on those principles that you just stated, at least, and I would say that we're able to have a very, very large church of many thousands of people. With we have twelve full time pastors on our team, um, and so. These are pastors who are multiplying people in global work, multiplying people in local local work, multiplying house churches. Uh, and so we have people that oversee our, we have traditional student ministry, if you will, but their job is to raise up people to disciple students. And so we have dozens and dozens of people who disciple students. And so we have a pastor, his full-time job is to oversee that. The same with kids. Um, but we, we hire fewer people because those are the activators of little discipleship movements, if you will. So people do give to the church, uh, meaning they'll give corporately to the body, but they also give to their house church. So people will give here. We have, we've never had any outside funding from day one. We've never had any outside support, any outside funding. It's just people give um, to their body and we say collectively, we're able to take, I do believe in, um, I see the early church brought their money together and laid it at the, at the apostles' feet. And there was some elder apostle oversight of giving, of stewardship of that money. Hey, what are we going to do with this? What needs are we going to meet? What churches are we going to plant? So people do give corporately, but they also give you know, individually through house church so much. So we can capture some of the giving. I mean, we like to say we, our goal 
is that we give 50% of the money that we receive away to local and global ministry partnerships and church planning. So we have given millions of dollars away uh, to local, global, and church planning ministries. But we can't quantify how much money has been given by our people in our church because so much of what is given here exchanges hands between people that we know nothing about. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question or not. It does, man. And, and I really like the, the idea that people can see where the giving is going. And, you know, for some people, uh, you know, obviously Paul rented the, the Hall of Tyrannus, and so there was most likely a cost involved there in Ephesus as he was training others to multiply outward. But if you think of all the money you would save if you didn't have to rent a space or buy a, a property, you know, you're, you're able, I, I love that model that you're able to give out more. And for those of you that are listening today, we're like, well, man, that that's not our situation or model. Look, we're not even saying, Hey, you have to do this model to become a reproducing church. But I think what, what this interview highlights for us, Jason, is that there's not one way to do this. There is not a one size fits all. And there are advantages to becoming a house church multiplying church. Uh, and and I, I know there's a tension, Jason, I'm sure you feel it, where sometimes people look at house church and they think, ah, oh, it's not real church, right? It's kind of like you read the New Testament and they see bivocationalism in there, but we're blind to it. And they go, oh, well, you know, that's not, that's not real ministry until you're full-time paid on staff. We have these kinds of strange ways of looking at things. And I'm sure you're coming against that all the time. If you were to sell someone on multiplying or reproducing, since this is the Reproducing Churches podcast, reproducing through house churches, what would your apologetic be? What would be your selling points on telling people? Well, I think it's simpler than a sentence, or it's more complex than a sentence, but I would say in simplicity, it's hard for me to read the New Testament without seeing a multiplication strategy. The Everybody's always thinking about how we set this up to multiply. I think the problem is partly, but not mostly, partly that pastors aren't thinking about church planting or multiplying. Like I grew up in churches and never heard of it, worked in churches and never heard of it. So I do think that's part of the problem. I think the bigger problem though, is that we've created systems and structures that prohibit that from possibly happening. And so my encouragement is create such simple systems and structures that you have the ability to multiply. And so I do not believe that renting space or using space is wrong. We're wearing clothes because of the fall. We're living in houses because of the fall. We have weather. I don't believe that large gatherings are wrong. Jesus did it, and the early church did it. And they often, the early church did, met in spaces. I don't think space is bad, and I don't think the large gathering is bad. It's the focus we have on them and the fact that we spend most of our time and most of our money on the large gatherings, and we have neglected, I think, the majority of the rest of ministry. So it has to all be done proportionally. I don't believe any pastor or church planner would say there's only one, uh, there's only one focus of church leadership, and that is a Sunday gathering. But we've disproportionately focused on that. So anyway, I, I think um, 
Yeah, those are some of the that's things good. that I have to biblically argue about. No, that's good, man. I appreciate that. And, you know, I think that's a, a really important takeaway for people because this is the reality, Jason. When, when, you know, I've trained church planners for years, and one of the biggest mistakes that I see them make is they go rent a space and they try to train their core team or, or build their core team day one from a written space. And as I'm talking to you, I'm just kind of thinking to myself, I train everyone for planting to start off in a home. And I like this kind of, um, it's almost like you're taking the burden off people to ever get out of the house. And I think if we kind of train church planners like that, hey, you may go and it's 30, 40 people and that's your church for, for the rest of your ministry. But if you multiply out of that, right? If you just do what was done for you, Imagine the burden taken off. You do need money to do that? No. Do you need money to rent someone's house? No, right? Literally, you could open up the bottlenecks of church planning. And if you're going to start off in a house anyways, building a core team, which you should, maybe you don't graduate out of the house, quote unquote, to use that word. It's not, it's not really a fair word because here's the idea is that I have seen multiple planners that when things were in the home, life was good. And they could have continued on with that model, multiplied out. But as you mentioned, somewhere there's this idea that we haven't graduated, quote unquote, until you get out of the house and rent a public space. In fact, certain denominations and networks won't actually count you as a church plant and fund you until you've gotten out of the house. And I just wonder hearing you today, if maybe one of the ways forward is to tell people, look, start, you're going to start in a house. Every healthy church planning core team should, right? You do that for six months to a year, then you make the decision. Do we want to stay like this and just multiply here? Or do we want to go to a public space? Taking that pressure and burden off would be huge for the entire body of Christ. You know, I'm trying to think about how to answer that. I'll answer it anecdotally first with a church planner that I'm training right now. And and by the way, I I agree with you. So a church planner that I'm training is meeting in a home. They're having incredible amounts of people come. The community being built is awesome. They're having 80 people crammed into a home. And he's like, what do I do? And I said, start four house churches out of this one. And then start six and then start eight. And just start a house church movement in your city. And then your job is the overseer of this house church movement. And can you gather on Sunday once a month? Sure. Can you gather on Sunday every week? Sure. But make sure nothing diminishes this house church movement starting. So, you know, for us, it was we're two house churches that turn into four, that turn into eight, that turn into 16, that turn into 32, that turn into 64, and so on. And then we plant other churches and cut some of these house churches off. But focus... I think a house church, I, I think a pastor over a church can't even be see himself different than a house church pastor. We have doctors, attorneys, teachers, firemen, policemen, engineers, businessmen. These are all people who are house church pastors. This is what they're doing. They're spending a significant amount of their time doing it while they're also being excellent in their other vocation. But they're house church pastors. My job is I'm spending a lot of time with these people 
And so that's why I'm full-time focused at the church, so I can help all these other hundreds of people. So I, I think if, I, if, you know, when you said graduate from a house to a place, I think that mentality that most people carry couldn't be more false. My thing is start in a house, grow, multiply into two, four, six, eight house churches, and now you got a movement of house churches, and now you can be one church under this leadership, you can be one church of many house churches, which is what we are. Well, you know, Exponential talks about changing the scorecard. What if the scorecard wasn't graduating from a house to a building or rented space? Yes. What if this scorecard was simply graduation equals multiplying another house church? I Just agree. multiplication, whatever it looks like, that is the new scorecard that we are reproducing ourselves, And we're running out of time, but before we do that, I want to ask you just one quick question. What is your vision for planting in the next five years? You've been going for 10 now. What do the next five to 10 look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I like to say more of the same. Uh, we are convinced and convicted that this is a biblical model of church and we can't deviate from it. We're 10 years old. Um, we're doing the same thing now with thousands and thousands of people that we were doing with dozens of people early on. So all we want to do is plant more house churches. We, we now say we want a house church in every neighborhood in our city. So that's our goal. So we're planting house churches in every neighborhood in our city. And then we have to raise up leaders to oversee them. We're planting more churches all over the city of Houston. That's our goal. Churches that are starting with a cluster of house churches and then move. We're planting churches in other states. We're planting churches in other nations. So church planting, house churches. Also, we, are, we have figured out a way to find space that can be used by gospel-centered ministry seven days a week that we share. So like we've just begun a new space that's going to be used seven days a week by local and global ministry partners, just like the place we're in now, it's used almost every day, but we're going to be even more strategic with ministry for refugees and a common space for ministry partners in our city. So we're figuring, we're wanting to change the way churches use their space yeah. and uh, not make a specific church building, but have yeah. a building that maybe you can use on Sunday, but other people are using for the gospel seven days a week. I love it. And behind your head as we're doing this interview, because I can see you, is a map of your city. And whenever yeah. I see someone with a map behind them in their office, I know they mean business. I know they're thinking gospel saturation. Yeah. So, brother, it's been a pleasure having you on here. Now, because your specific uh, mode of uh, reproducing churches is unique to the house church model, what are some resources that you would suggest people grabbing hold of that might have influenced you? Uh, I, I, I feel like when I say this, it sounds arrogant, but I'm not trying to be arrogant at all. I didn't, I couldn't find much when I started church project. Actually, I didn't even know who to look for or who to study. Uh, about four or five years after we started our church, I stumbled on Alan Hirsch. Embarrassingly, I had never heard of him. Um, but four or five years in, I read him. I felt like he had some movement DNA principles in there that were, that I resonated with that excited me. And, uh, he helped refine some of our ideas. Ralph Moore, when I started church Friday, I had never heard of him. And it seems like that's his design to be 
unheard of by people yet influential, but Ralph, um, his stuff has been incredibly helpful for me. Uh, anything by Ralph Moore, he gets it. I think he's the Yoda of church planning that we should all yearn from, learn from. Mm, multiply, um, you will. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, Ralph, and I, um, Ralph Moore, um, Alan Hirsch, Bill Hull has been great for me personally. I have a relationship with him. Plus, his books have been great on discipleship. Um, letters, letters to the church actually, I think, gave some good principles for this ideology, this theology. I think practically, um, it didn't really help with what. How do you structure church? Uh, I wrote a book called Church Project, which helped people um, sort of practically see. It was just a narrative with some light ecclesiology about how did we start and what did we do. Right. But those are, I guess, the three or four people that uh, I've continued to learn from. And I would honestly say, not not to just plug them, but it's been a real help to be in an exponential cohort. Uh, we got our team, in a, and we've done it twice, in a cohort. Um, and it's been really, really good to spend a year and another year with exponential talking about multiplication. That's fantastic. And if you guys want to get involved in any of the Exponential cohorts, uh, go ahead and email bill at exponential.org. That's bill at exponential.org and tell them that you're interested. You know, that cohort has come up a number of times uh, since we've been doing this podcast and multiple people have mentioned, the majority have mentioned being a part of one of those cohorts. So uh, if you also want to get in touch with um, the multiplication challenge, just to kind of scale where you're at and to see what the next steps for you might be, go to reproducingchurches.org and check out the multiplication challenge there and check into some of our other episodes. In the meantime, my guest today has been Jason Shepard of Church Project, and we've been talking about how the house church model can lead to greater multiplication. I want to thank Jason for being on the show, and I want to thank you today for listening. And be sure to join us next time for Reproducing Churches podcast. I'm Peyton Jones, and we'll see you then. Hey, thanks for joining Peyton Jones on the Reproducing Churches podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. Let's increase the number of churches that multiply from 7 to 10%. For more information or resources such as courses, audios, videos, ebooks, or discounts for the next exponential conference in your area, visit reproducingchurches.org.